0: Welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. I'm so careful about putting things into my body these days, and this is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my wellness. They are organically farmed, gluten-free, and have absolutely zero THC in their products. It's just a clean CBD to help you ditch your stress, sleep better, and soothe anxiety. My absolute favorite product of theirs is the orange cream gummies. They also have raspberry and strawberry, which are really good. And after about two weeks of having one gummy every single evening with CBD in it, to treat my little sweet tooth with a dessert, I can't help but notice that my sleep has drastically improved every single night. I actually wear a ring to measure my sleep and it's just undeniable what these little gummy friends have done for me. And without THC, you're just getting the calming effects of the CBD plant, none of the high, which is why they are so safe to take. They each come in 10 milligrams or 25 milligram doses of CBD to calm you down from the day in the sweetest and tastiest of ways. And the best thing about them is that they don't taste at all like CBD. I once tried another CBD gummy bear from another company and it was like, whoa, it tasted like I was eating a skunk wrapped in marijuana and sugar. So anyway... I've come to love these little gummies from Soul CBD and as a way to love myself to use whatever resources exist in the world that help me be more well as a human, these are so one of them. So our friends at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to slash soul It's A S H L E Y S T A hl.com slash s-o-u-l to access our special page with them and don't forget to use the u-turn code at checkout that's y-o-u-t-u-r-n at checkout now let's get in to this week's episode
1: basically when you take enneagram test it i really like it because it tells you kind of how you're motivated to take action and for us a lot of our disagreements and our misunderstandings were because we didn't know how the other person you know handled stressful conflicts or we didn't really understand like why they were motivated to do the thing they were motivated to do so this is helpful for knowing yourself and then everyone around you significant other but also like your best friends like when you can understand how they're motivated you can communicate with them in such a different way
2: going on, U-Turn friends. It's Ash here, and I'm so excited to bring Keisha Fitzgerald onto the podcast today. She is the host of the Empower Her podcast. I was just on there for an episode. You've got to check her out. And she also has an incredible community every single month, a collective of women that she is supporting with resources, books, content to stay empowered, get out of comparisonitis. And she also happens to have a really long relationship. She's engaged, And I was really inspired looking through her Instagram, just thinking a little bit about how much we're all going through in our relationships and how much to me, which I know it's the gram, her relationship looks like it's thriving. And I recently read a survey by Fishbowl, which is an app, And they talked about how has working from home affected your romantic relationship. And overall 28.7% of respondents said working from home during the pandemic has had a positive impact on their relationship. 25% were not in a relationship. 23% said working from home has had no impact. 16% said it strained their relationship and six to 7% broke up or divorced. So A total of 23% of us said that working from home has really hurt, ruined, or strained our relationship. And I want to just have more of a conversation with Keisha here about comparisonitis, about personality types, the Enneagram. If you haven't taken the free Enneagram test, you've got to take it. Maybe pause and go take it or take it after this episode. Keisha, thank you so much for being here with me.
1: I am so excited to be here, Ashley and Jam on all of these topics. And thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, I feel like that was such a big opener. I love data, obviously, as you can hear. <laughs> so take me into, I don't know, like whenever I saw, I know Instagram is just Instagram, but like you look really happy with your partner and you guys, I can feel how in sync you are through the pictures. And I i know that the honeymoon phase for a lot of people you know, everybody looks happy, but you've kept a relationship going for a decade and you guys aren't, you've not only kept it going, but you've chosen to commit your lives to each other. And I know some people might commit after six months, they get married or whatever, but I love that you've kind of been unconventional. I would love to hear maybe some of the trials and tribulations of being in a partnership. Like, were there moments where you were like, this isn't going to work and we need to throw in the towel um and how did you overcome those so anything about your story and also your business and kind of that role that it played in your relationship
1: For sure. I love this. So, um, my fiance and I met in college. Um, We both grew up in the greater Seattle area. And at the time that we met, I was, you know, obviously in college, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to get a communication major and I'm going to go into the corporate world. I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to climb the ladder. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to check, check, check. And he wanted to be a dentist. So, I was always really envious of his career path because it seemed really structured to me, where he was like, I know what I'm going to do. And then I need to take that next step and take that next step versus me, I didn't really know exactly what direction that I wanted to take, but I had this idea of what society was telling me. This is going to be the right path. You're going to be fulfilled if you just start making moves in that direction. So I ended up getting into corporate recruiting and um, project management. But the whole time that I was in that career path, I felt this like gut feeling that I wanted something more. And when I say more, I don't mean more than the corporate world. There's tons of amazing career paths out there. Obviously you talk all, all about this, Ashley, but I think it's for me, I knew it wasn't aligned for me. And it really started right then a couple years into our relationship where I kept saying to him, you know, I've got all of these opportunities in my career. So I was working, you know, in an organization where I was in corporate recruiting and I was moving into sales and I was getting to work with some of these big fortune 500 companies to staff for them. And I had a golden handcuffs type situation is how I identified it, where I was going to make a ton of money and I was moving in this direction, had this status and all of this stuff. But in my, in my gut, I was like, this is not right. So I quit that job. And at the time my fiance, who was, you know, going to do a biochemistry undergrad degree and going into dental school and moving down that path, he literally could not understand. Why would you ever, when you've got this job title and you've got this amount of money and you've got, you've worked so hard in this path. How could you catch? Like, how could you quit that? Like, how could you just leave that? And that was really the beginning of when we started to realize how incredibly, I mean, we've always known that we were different, but how incredibly differently we're motivated, but how complimentary that is where I, um, I make decisions based off of a gut feeling and the fear of being stuck is literally like, that's going to just crush me. The idea of being stuck in something that doesn't feel really fulfilling. There's no way in hell I'm doing that. He is driven by the achievement and kind of that he loves to know the process and he want to take, he wants to take it step-by-step for that bigger vision. And early on that caused a lot of conflict because He really didn't understand me. And we had to make that the forefront of our relationship straight out the gates was like, we need to figure out who we are as individuals because we were so young. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we really made that a priority to figure out how can I be the best version of me and how can you be the best version of you? So together we can crush it and understand that by staying in our own lanes to a certain degree, that actually works really well for our team together. Mm -hmm. And that early on was I mean, it was a game changer for our relationship and it was a game changer for me to feel comfortable to keep pushing myself to do things that were a little bit riskier because Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with risk because Mm -hmm. he was this stable ground. And it's the whole idea that like opposites attract, but our interests were so similar.
2: So I, I have to say like my partner, William, um, so I spent like years traveling and being super free, digital nomad, dating random guys who can't keep a relationship with me because they're like jet setting God knows where. <laughs> and then in comes William, who I've known my whole life. Our moms are best friends, but I never really noticed him in that way until later. And he's so stable. He owns his house in the suburbs. He is like an, you know leading a team at his job and he's super good at his job and he has saved and invested. And meanwhile, I like went into a ton of debt, paid it off. Like I'm an entrepreneur, I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. And for a while I used to think to myself, like this guy is going to hold me back. Like he's so stabilized and committed to that that I feel smaller or like I'm shrinking. It wasn't until later that I realized, no, this is the stability that sets me free. He's never going to go into debt like I did and be imprisoned by it. Like He's on the ground so that I can fly away and come back to a safe place. And so what you're talking about, I resonate with. And I know it's easier said than done. It's still kind of painful sometimes to be with somebody who is so different from you. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you navigate those moments on a day-to-day basis when your partner is in, and I've never actually talked like as much as I intend to with you about my relationship, but yeah. how do you navigate when he is in his systema- systematic thinking yeah. and you're in your freedom and your creativity and he kind of feels like he's in your way? Like, yeah. How do you do that? Such a good question.
1: So we block it off for both, where we both he knows like how much me being me benefits his perspective, right? Because I'm so well, we'll talk about Enneagram, but I'm so process driven and he is so goal-oriented. And when you have those two things together, we've started to see like how complementary it is to put those two skill sets together that we have to have time for both. So for me, so say for example, when I started my podcast. I, you know, decided to start a podcast. I'm so excited about it. I don't even know how to start a podcast. I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I just call my shot and I'll just go for it. I'll figure it out as I go. Yeah. Versus Cena goes into it. My fiance Cena goes into it with the mindset of like, you know, what equipment do we need? What structure do we need? Like all of the like checklist things. We literally need both. We need yeah. the person that's going to call our shot and go for it and just kind of you know have that excitement and enthusiasm about the process that's really not scared about the how and then we need the person that's actually going to back it up so
2: when we're Wait, but vacation any- yeah. that what you're saying is so true and people criticize each other even though that's true even though we need the stable like list person and we need the risk taker that's like free into the wind yep. have you guys gotten stuck in criticizing each other for being that way and how do you get centered and ground yourself from that?
1: Yeah. So at first it was, it wasn't necessarily criticizing, but it was really just like, uh, like we didn't understand. Like I felt alone and like, nobody gets me like nobody. You don't understand like why I'm the way that I am. And I couldn't articulate it myself. Mm. So I actually think it really came down to like really diving in and getting more self-aware of like, what is the thought that I'm thinking, which which is driving my behaviors and my actions? Where is this, like, what's the story that I'm telling myself about the season that I'm in? Why am I acting this way? Because if I can't figure it out for myself, it's not his responsibility to know how to figure it out for me. And when we took that pressure off of it, where I think a lot of times people say like, you know, he or she, you know, whatever relationship like makes me happy. And I am like, dang, that is a scary place to be. We've been together for 12 years and he contributes so much happiness and fulfillment and joy to my life. But even that I'm never going to say he's responsible for my happiness. He's also not responsible for my self-awareness or my clarity. And he's not responsible to supporting me in my dreams, although I would never do life with someone that didn't. That's my job. So it's Mm -hmm. almost like at first when I didn't know myself well enough, I felt isolated and confused Mm. about who I actually was. And that's
2: when you people blame your partner, you know, like, okay,
1: that's exactly what it is. And so at first it felt like that until we both took this responsibility of like, if this is going to work, we both need to understand ourselves better so that we can figure out how do we support each other and see this as the best possible gift Mm
2: -hmm. rather
1: than seeing it as friction. And now it just has formed, you know, over all of the years, into this really awesome you know, partnership. But at the same time, there were so many times that I also didn't understand. I'm like, why do you care so much about achieving that thing? You just care what other people think about you achieving that thing? Why does that even matter? But his brain is wired towards, I need to get to like, what is that goal that I'm working towards? If I can't see that exact goal and break it down into steps, I feel confused. And yeah. I feel constrained if I have to just get to that end goal, because I'm like, if the process is enjoyable, I don't care how shiny that end goal is. I need to love the day to day. And Mm -hmm. those two things together. Right. So at first it was, um, really just understanding we had to get more Mm self-aware. And then secondly, it was, you know, taking that radical responsibility for ourselves, and then learning how to create space for both. So If you, someone listening to this, if you're a person who likes to handle, we can go into conflict or whatever, that likes to handle conflict or um, likes to make a decision really quickly, like me, I'll get really mad and then I get really over it so quickly. It's like crazy. (laughs) I I get an idea and I want to start instantly. Stina is like, he's like on a kettle. Like he's just like simmers on it. He's like a slow soup and I'm like a microwave, right? (laughs) And both things are helpful, right? So...
2: But I I just like, I get so stuck in those moments in your life where you're like, because William and I are just like this. I'm in a very similar situation to you, but it sounds like we're showing up differently. So William and I, when we are in this difference, we're frustrated. Like I'm frustrated. I'm like, why do you need to like slow me down and get into these things when I want to go do my thing or whatever you guys, maybe it's the years that you have beneath your belt. Like we've been together almost two. You guys seem to go into a place of okay, like what beautiful differences we have. Like, how do you handle it when he's sitting with the kettle simmering and you want to get a move on?
1: Yeah, is we, when we're making decisions, we have to have time. We have to have time for both of it where where I have to then, unfortunately, and get my head wrapped around this of like, okay, you're right. We need to sit down. We need to have an actual plan. We can't just make a rash decision. I'm very impulsive. So I've had to, i have have to force myself to kind of sit in that for a second and, and literally look for, cause obviously whatever you're going to look for, you're going to find, I, I have to look for the reasons why that actually is really freaking helpful. And now I've found and made it mean that I can actually manage my anxiety better. When I tap into some of his natural strengths, Mm -hmm. rather than just trying to go for it and figure it out as I go, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have to navigate a lot of anxiety if I'm like, okay, I know someone that I'm actually doing life with is also checking off all those boxes. It creates more of that freeness rather than the story of this is holding me back or this is going to make it take longer. And so it's all it's-
2: a story. It's all a mindset. And that's what that's I'm all. seeing with you. So with William, that has begun to shift for me where I'm like, Oh damn, I really need his like systemized way of thinking. Yeah, it's yeah. taken me years. What do you think it is when these differences come up? That is the difference between a couple saying, we're going to work through this and figure this out versus like, this isn't a match and look how incompatible we are. Because for a lot of years I left relationships thinking like this isn't working and you know relationships do take work. So can you take me into like a moment where you guys were maybe in that conversation of like this might not work or how do we do this or, or, or what what made you decide to keep going? Yeah.
1: So we moved from Seattle to New York city when he got into NYU dental school and that was our first time living together. And we'd been dating for five years and it was our first time away from, you know, our, we both grew up there. So we had family and tons of friends there. We both went to college there, like undergrad. And I, this was a big shift for us was he was working, he was bartending while he was applying to dental school. And I was working in the corporate world and building a side business at that time. And we moved to New York. I started working at Google and corporate recruiting and he started NYU dental school and what really changed the game for us. And I think this can change. And we should definitely talk about this is, um, he financially, I mean, he wasn't working. Right. Yeah. So, I was the one that was financially providing for both of us and all the way, you know, 3,000 miles away from family and friends. The first time I had ever done that while working a full-time job and a side business and he had no finances, right? Because he was in school full-time. So the gender, those roles. Yes, this is a huge question. The gender roles combined with the fact that we were living together for the first time in a 600 square foot New York city apartment that faced an alleyway with one window. I had to like blow dry my hair in the kitchen because it was just like crazy. Right. Um, and that was really how we had, that was the time when we really had to do the work on this. This is when we got into some of the tools that we can dive into, like Enneagram and things of that sort. We had to understand this is to make this work like there's a lot of like stuff that's going on here there's a lot of societal pressures there's a lot of things that we think that we should be doing as like a woman or a man and there's so much complexity that we had to like unpack some of these things as we were going through them in real time and And when we were doing that, and I realized that sometimes I wanted to like kill him, but most of the times I was like, this is the guy that I want to do life with. That's when I knew like, okay, this I'm in this for forever.
2: Wow. I love that. Okay. I want to talk about gender roles and then we could go through Enneagrams. And, um, I also kind of have some notes that I have here from like what Enneagrams want out of love, which I think is really, really fun to look at. So based on whoever's listening, whatever your Enneagram personality type is, we could talk about what you need from love. Um, how did you na- navigate the gender role differences? Because I think this plays into sex, like, mm-hmm. like women more than. Well, first of all, according to the research, we're more educated than men now, and we're still getting paid less for the same job. And so, for us to, and then there's a lot of research on emotional labor and logistical labor in the house, like handling kids or cleaning the home or making dinner, and like providing that nurturing role, but then also paying the bills, but then also hooking up with your guy or, and this is very heteronormal, obviously, cause that's all yeah. I personally know in my life. But, right. um, how do you, was there ever a time where you, I mean, that's a long time. He was in dental school and stuff like that. How did you handle that? And did it feel heavy for you?
1: Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. Um, we had to unpack what, our role, what those roles actually look like, especially when at the time that you're doing that, the people that you're connected with, like all of our friends and, you know, we're in people's weddings and like, they're in these, these more stereo quote unquote, stereotypical gender norms that we weren't in at yeah. all. And we didn't have anyone that we knew personally that was in the t- same type of situation as us. And I was very cautious of wanting him to have this dream of going to dental school, but also and not wanting to put extra pressure on him because I knew how hard this was for him, but it was so hard for me because yeah. it felt like it was so much pressure and I didn't know how to act because it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, for example, you take like the dating, um, just the dating in general, you start dating someone and you're kind of just like casually dating them and you don't really like have a a title on this. You don't know the norms. You don't know what you're supposed to do. And then you get into like, okay, now we're dating and you know, we're engaged, we're married, whatever it is. There's certain expectations that kind of come with that agreement that you've made. But when you're in this weird situation where you don't really know what the actual expectations are, you have to then either say, Holy crap, this is really overwhelming. I don't want to do this or okay this is a huge opportunity because if we don't see examples of this, we're going to have to be responsible for deciding what this actually means to us and creating what is this season for us and how is this going to serve us later? And for us and me in particular, it felt super heavy and really stressful. And at the same time I could envision this future where I would look back on this moment and be like, yeah, like, I am going to be so proud of this season, and we're going to be so grateful that we were able to to swing to these dynamics, and then we could swing to a different dynamics in the future, and we get to navigate all of this together. But it it felt it felt really hard at the time, and this is when we did dive into some of these tactical things like Enneagram because we knew that we didn't have the language, we didn't have the, we didn't know what to do, we didn't know how to navigate it, and we yeah. have it was really tough, and a lot of. Me getting pissed off about stuff, and him not knowing how to help support me, and I'm at the time too. I'm working a full time job in corporate recruiting, and I'm building a business on the side. And um, then I transitioned into the entrepreneurial space while we were living there too. And all of this, I was working wow. so much, and he wasn't. Um, from a financial perspective, contributing, but from an emotional perspective, he was majorly showing up, which helped so much too. You know, I love that.
0: Hey U-Turners, I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered. With the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day, I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail and it works with any other email provider really that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to anymore. The Same Later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days I check my Same Later folder, skim through it and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to Samebox. So For the first couple of weeks, I monitored my sandbox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox, and now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-Turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now. It's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Okay, let's go through the Enneagram types for the
2: note takers. Um, and again, make sure you take the free Enneagram test, guys, if you haven't taken it before. So I know number one is the reformer. Can and just kind of walk us through each one very briefly, if you can.
1: Yeah. So basically, when you take Enneagram test, it I really like it because it tells you kind of how you're motivated to take action. And for us, a lot of our disagreements and our misunderstandings were because we didn't know how the other person, you know, handled stressful conflicts, or we didn't really understand like why they were motivated to do the thing that they were motivated to do. So this is helpful for knowing yourself and then everyone around you significant other, but also like your best friends, like when you can understand how they're motivated, you can communicate with them in such a different way. And you can start to see these, uh, these differences as really helpful and supportive to each other. So like, go take the test, just Google it Enneagram. Uh, But number one, like you said, is the reformer. And this is the person that's really like motivated by what's right, and what's wrong. They tend to have more like perfectionist tendencies because they're really stuck in like, this is the right way to do things. This is the wrong way to do things. And when you have someone like that in your life, or you are someone like that, someone like me, who I'm a seven, we'll get into that, um, <laughs> that just kind of goes for it and is just off the wall. That person is so hard to understand for you because your core value comes from, I have to live with it. In, in in integrity, and I have to do what's right. And that seems too abstract for me. But Mm. when you know someone and you understand what motivates them, you can start to see, at least from their perspective, even if you don't agree with it and it doesn't feel true to you, you can start to build that um, deeper connection, right? And
2: I, yeah, and I know that ones, you know, they're rational, they're they're idealistic, they have a lot of integrity, um, they value rules. I feel like from love, they tend to want a lot of playfulness and like that that space that kind of softens this um, black or white perhaps type of thinking. Okay, so take us into number two, which I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably a number two because a lot of my friends are number two, which is the helper.
1: Yes, the helper. And it's funny because sometimes the number two is also... Um, Something that can be mistyped because a lot of women are generally speaking more, more nurturing like this, especially when people move into being moms. They sometimes identify as being helpers. So a lot of people are number twos, but then a lot of people mistype. So definitely look into this and make sure that you like a way to know that this is your right type is what's the fears of that person um of that particular type so definitely look into that but the helper is the person that is you know more has those people pleasing tendencies they're also like very generous they're they're the one that's going to you know make you snacks and they're going to make sure that you feel good and they <laughs> really care about like giving back to people right that's not me and that's not my fiance and sometimes <laughs> i don't have those helper tendencies where i'm like that caretaker not really my personality but oh my gosh i love these people i have so many yeah. friends that
2: are these people yeah um, Regret. so true. And I know that from love, you know, twos deeply want like reassurance of stability. They want honesty. They want courage and strength, you know, um, reciprocity. They want joy in relationships. I mean, they're giving a lot. Like I think that they, um, value, you know, love and love itself, you know, cause For they're sure. helpers and supporters. So, okay. I also know there's probably a lot of number threes listening, the achiever take yeah. me into the Enneagram three.
1: Yeah. I I also love what you just said about twos for like, you would know this with any girlfriends of yours, or if you, someone listening to this is a two or, or does life with a two that they have to feel appreciated. Like you have to tell them that they're appreciated because they are pouring so much into other people that if they don't feel that way, they literally don't feel love. And I think that even goes into like Gary Chapman's four love languages for anyone that wants more resources around that. But the achiever is my fiance, Cena. Um, this is for someone who is very success oriented. They're very, um, goal driven. They're, you know, they're very focused on like that end goal. They also can get really caught up in the image of it all. That's the negative side of it, where they're like, what, what is this perceived as by other people? Mm-hmm. And when you have someone that's very goal driven and you, like I am, I'm very process driven, You can see the friction there if you don't see it as an advantage, right? Um, So for me, I've had to really lean into that of understanding that he needs to know that he's loved, not for what he's actually accomplishing, because threes are really tied up in their identity of like, who am I? What's my status? What's my job title? They want the flashy like things when they're in an unhealthy state. But when they feel supported and loved for who they actually are rather than what they actually accomplish, Mm -hmm. that's a really good spot for them to be in. So if you're doing life with a three or you are a three, you're probably going to catch a notice in yourself that you are often just pushing for that next goal and you're maybe not taking time to celebrate along the way or you're constantly focusing on let's get to that next milestone, but you're not taking time to feel proud of the person you're becoming in pursuit of it. So when you know yourself in this regard or when you're doing life with someone like that, it's, it's gold to figure out how they feel supported. Otherwise-
2: yeah. I think threes also need like unconditional love and support beyond their work. Like they are workhorses, they are out there and they tend to need a partner who can like really hold. I always wonder what two threes do together, like two, High achiever threes. I'm like, who's loving each other when you guys are both doing all the time?
1: Exactly. That's why you also will see that a lot of times people aren't the same Enneagram that end yeah. up together.
2: That pairing, I, I don't know many people that are the same type. Well, I, and I love number four because that one's me, the individualist. Yeah. Talk to yeah. me about the number four. I know that what we need in love is appreciation for our talent and that extra push and somebody who's yeah. really patient with all of our emotions. Um, so t- take me into number four.
1: Yeah. Number fours are like more the feelers too, as in like they can feel a lot. They're like, you know, they're more sensitive, but they can also step into when they're creating, they have a, a bigger type of personality. And I think it's, um, it's really powerful that you give people space that are number fours to let them be in that creative element rather than pushing them to take action. So a four with a three Um, that's like, let's get to the goal. There could be misunderstanding there. If they don't understand that the four needs to like sit in it and kind of like really adapt it. Like I think of the, I think of, I have a girlfriend that's a four that I just, I love her because I ask her to do something and she wants to like, see how she feels about it. (laughs) And I know not to say not to push her on it because she wants to sit in that for a second. And I find that, you know, she comes to decisions through really like um processing it in that way. So they're expressive people and um got I mean, they're creatives.
2: Yeah. They're- I love what you're sharing about knowing that somebody is a certain way because what you're really doing is you're earning secure attachment by understanding. And those of you who haven't listened to our episodes on attachment, I know I did one with Nora de DeKaiser, um, just about different attachment styles and relationships, even though they play out a lot in our romantic relationships, I think in our friendships we mm-hmm may have insecure attachments to our relationships. And when somebody can know how somebody rolls in the way that the Enneagram might reveal the the fact that you're saying about your friend, like, I know she's a four and I don't want to interrupt her in that process. There's such a reverence to respecting who somebody is. And I know that we are all so much bigger than a box that the Enneagram will put us in, but I do think it's really powerful. And take me into number five, which is, uh, William completely different from me. So take, take me a little bit into that personality.
1: Oh, I love that. It's a four and a five together in a relationship. Um, <laughs> five is the investigator, which is someone who is a little bit more of an intense personality, but they're very focused driven, but they also can be more like, um, not like, like kind of like isolated as in, they kind of want, want their own space. They, they, aren't necessarily the open book straight out the gates they're not going to be the person that's like let me tell you about my childhood wounds like when they first meet you um so it's really helpful when you know that again about them because if for example this person doesn't come off as like being super open about all of their feels and you're someone who's in your feels and loves to talk about all your feels that could be super um that could create a lot of friction yeah but when you know it you start to see oh that, that's because of their core values and how they want to show up in the world. And that they're, they, they, they want to feel that protection and safety. And when they feel it, then they can be more open. Right. Yes. So it's kind of, again, it's understanding when you're going through this to your point, Ashley, of like, obviously don't put yourself in a box of like, Oh, I'm an Enneagram this and use it to like, have you not take action in your life Yeah, use it as a way to give you like this is powerful. And when you look into it, this was like, when we read about even like relationships between us, like about Enneagram, when we first started looking into this, I was like, this is like reading, like, does someone have a camera in our house? Cause like, this is so freaking accurate. So if anyone listening to this, if you just, you got
2: to go take this test because yeah. It's huge. And even with William, him being a five, which, you know, as we're saying is the investigator, I mean, he's very analytical. And so when you're dealing with a five, they want somebody who can intellectually match them. Um, they want somebody that they could put their guard down, you know, um, they appreciate uh, a feeling of familiarity because they are very much in the analytics of life, and there's a lot of comfort in love when you can provide them with that. So, I know William, you know, before we started dating, that was what was missing for him was that intellectual depth. And it's funny that it's not coming from somebody who, is necessarily like that analytical thinker. I'm an emotional thinker, but I have a lot of different thoughts and he appreciates that. So take me he into, out, right. He probably why you
1: feel loved and he values safety too. And you getting to express that. And you guys having these, like, I, I can imagine you guys just have these like juicy conversations about yeah. all of these different topics where you feel loved and supported because you get to express yourself at yeah. work. Person, right? And then he it, he can give that security, which you could perceive as either like, oh, this is keeping me stuck, or wow, this is giving me this grounded place that I can like pour into. What a gift.
2: Right? Yes. Yes. I and and I know number six, the loyalist. I actually haven't met a lot of loyalists. So I'm really curious to hear what you think about number six.
1: I don't know personally any sixes. That's Isn't so that? funny. I don't, I don't know. I I don't know why, but um, they're very like secure, like, um, they're like very committed, structured people. They're, they're the person that you would think of as, as like very responsible, but they're also kind of the anxious type. So they're this like walking kind of contradiction of like very committed and focused, but also have a lot of, um, they're, they're skeptical, I guess yeah. is the right word. Like they're a little bit skeptical of people. Um, like I said, I don't know why, for whatever reason, I don't have a lot of people that are super close to me that are sick. Yeah. Years. So if you're a six, you might be, you may be a rare
2: breed. Um, Yeah. DM us. We need to know a six in our life, (laughs) but yeah, these people, the loyalist, I mean, they really value security. They're highly responsible. And I think they really in love want like that respectful listening ear, optimism, you know, like somebody that can put them a little bit at ease in, because they are so responsible. Okay. Tell me about number seven. Cause that's clearly you. I could have guessed that, but you're a little enthusiast over there. I am. So I'm a seven, it, the enthusiast, which is really like the spontaneous,
1: like big personality. T- they tend to be more extroverted, just like lots of ideas. It kind of feels like there's like 800 million tabs open in my brain and I'm just really excited. And the negative side of sevens is we can get really scattered if we're not doing something that we love. But on top of that, we don't like negative emotions. This is huge. If you, when you can figure out when you're going through this and you figure out your own Enneagram type, and then you're figuring it out for a significant other or someone close to you, and you understand that what their main fear is, which for sevens is being stuck. So once we unpacked that with like Cena and I, and we unpacked, like, I am so afraid of feeling stuck or trapped in a negative emotion. I do not like to stay down for very long. And sevens can be perceived as kind of like flighty yeah. unless they're, unless they're conscious of their own flaws and they work to kind of like keep themselves focused, which is why for me doing life with someone who's so structured has been hugely beneficial for the last 12 years, because when I want to get all scattered, I'm like, okay, get myself in the lane and then use my enthusiasm in a more structured way. And um by knowing the weakness of me not wanting to stay in a negative emotion and not wanting to stay stuck, it helps Tina understand why I would quit that job that was so much opportunity, why I would want to make this change, why I'd be so comfortable with risk. Because for me the alternative is like I'm not afraid of risk. I'm afraid of feeling stuck in something that doesn't feel aligned to me. Like that is literally my worst nightmare. Yeah. So again, that brings up kind of like knowing yourself and knowing how you're motivated, but also knowing what is actually your biggest fear that makes you want to take a fork and shove it in your eyeball. For me, it's someone telling me I have to be stuck in negative emotion and sit in it in the darkness. Like, get me at, like, I physically feel it, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. So know and and it's funny because I know the Enneagram type seven in love, like they tend to need somebody that's steadfast, fun, but steadfast to kind of pull you back from flying off into something that might not be good for you or somebody that can give you that like reassurance and emotional safety, um, a sense of direction, some order in the middle of the chaos Um, so good. And, and I love what we pointed out that for anybody listening, it's like, you don't ever want to use anything to say, this is just how I am. You get to create who you are, but this is an awesome context and reference point. And if you go deeper on researching Enneagrams, they have a lot about where your strengths are and what your shadows are, the areas of yourself that you kind of want to orphan and not look at the places inside of you that you're afraid. So, okay. Two more types, Enneagram type eight um, the challenger, and then type nine, the peacemaker. Talk to me about the challenger.
1: The challenger is so, you know, if you're a challenger or if you have a friend in your life, cause they're the person that's always going to say like, well, but why do we have to do that? Does yeah. that make sense? They, they ask a ton of questions because they have to identify that like, it makes sense to them and they're willing, they're, they're totally comfortable with confrontation. They're more of this like dominant personality where like you, they're kind of in your face about stuff. They're really decisive. They know what they want and they're not willing, they're not willing to, <laughs> to really adapt a lot, but what's cool and interesting as you get more into any of which we don't need to go into too much unless you want to, but you have a wing, meaning one of the numbers beside you. So if you're an eight, you have like a tendency to swing a little bit towards either a seven or a nine. So if you swing, if you're an eight that swings a little bit towards a seven, sometimes you have that more fun, playful side to you, but your core is that you're very like this dominant type if you swing more towards the nine, which is the peacemaker, you have a little bit more of the, like, what does the group want to do? And like, I value this peace and security, um, which makes you kind of makes these numbers a little bit more fluid that you yeah. swing to one side or the other. But typically a core trait of an eight is they are very decisive Yeah, they are strong-willed and they're a little bit more confrontational and they're the person like they probably would make a really great lawyer. Like you want an eight as your lawyer. They're just gonna be like, let's go.
2: Yeah, Um, totally. Oh my gosh. I know an eight. And they're, they also like on the shadow side can be very powerful and dominating and willful and confrontational. So I have a friend who is in a relationship with a very strong eight and she's nine. She's the peacemaker. And sometimes it (laughs) looks like I'm watching her just like get run over by, by a truck, honestly. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, my, one of my closest girlfriends is um, a nine, the peacemaker who, so her demeanor is she is super like go with the flow. She's really easygoing. She's a great listener. She's just like a very like reassuring type person. She just makes you feel so supported. But on the other side of it, she, if like, she won't offer up her own opinions unless you ask her, right. Because Her core value is she wants everyone to feel comfortable in the group setting. If you ask her where she wants to go to dinner, she, she's not, she's not going to make up an idea. She'll never come up with an idea. She's like, well, whatever everyone else wants to do, because they value that go with the flow, but they get really frustrated if they're not asked for their opinion. So what you just said of like a nine and an eight combo that eight in a relationship with a nine has to get so comfortable with like making sure that they're asking that person's opinion and then waiting for the answer. It's not, how are you? And then jumping on to the next question. It's like, how are you? Tell me about how your day was. I need to know like specifically, what are you excited about? And sitting and waiting. Yeah. And that is like, especially with that, with that nine, those people tend to just go with the flow, but underneath it, they can get really frustrated if they don't feel like people value their opinion. So when you yeah. know that in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a significant other, then you can start to even approach your conversations where when I'm talking to this particular person that, uh, my friend Jackie, that's a strong, strong nine, I'm like, Hey, I want to know your opinion and I'll just sit and stare at her. And I'm like, no, no, I want to know. Don't say, don't ask me what I want to do. I want to know what do you want to do? Which as a seven, I value this freedom. So I, I'm really comfortable saying what I want to do and she would go along with it, but I have to force myself to make sure I'm asking her. So she feels supported and loved too.
2: Love that. And I know in um, the type eights, the challengers, they tend to need someone that can stand up to them or even teach them the in and outs of emotional intelligence. Like it's not to say that they're not emotionally intelligent, but I know that there's a lot of like gray in the world and the challengers tend to lead in black or white, like this is the way it is. Um, And so they also rely on, you know, like they need a partner that can do discussions and debates with them to clear the air. And then of course, the nine, the peacemaker, they want that confidence and unwavering patience, as you're talking about to kind of unfold and grow. And they even love recommendations for hobbies or activities. And I think a lot of them, if you're into human design are probably projectors, the type nines because they're waiting to be invited. And that's a key, key thing for projectors on the uh, human design archetype. So super interesting. And, um, I've just like loved asking you about your relationship and then the Enneagram. Um, What haven't I asked you about relationships or what can you share with us for people who are looking to create more flow in their love life, just based on all that you seem to learn? Because it seems like... Um, I really noticed that when I said like, William and I will get frustrated. We haven't learned yet how to be like, Oh, this is how they are. We're more like, Oh, this is how he is. And why doesn't he, we're still victimized about it. Sometimes with each other, we still go into stories in our head about it. Um, and it sounds like maybe that's just not something that happened for you or you guys had a little bit more softness. Um, what would you recommend for people to soften in their relationship? And do you have any thoughts on comparisonitis? Because I know that You guys got engaged after years and years and years together. And I know a lot of people right now are feeling like, especially women, like the clock is ticking or, um, that person got engaged right away and it's, we're still trying to work things out five years later. Like how do you, um, stay in your own lane? Yeah. So I think the first thing
1: is to know what you actually want. Because I think so often it's other people and societal norms and certain age milestones. And like, I'm at this stage of life. We've been together for this long. We live together. I've been in this many weddings. My friends are having kids. Like, it is so easy to say, you know, screw it. Do you, it's easy to say that. But as humans, we're literally designed to want to belong, right? We have that desire to want to belong to that social circle that's doing things at a certain stage of life, to that age demographic that we're in, whatever it is. So first we have to understand that like, it would be so strange if we didn't ever compare ourselves to other people's timelines and um, that that's human nature. But if you can actually work through that and ask yourself, what do I actually want? For me, it's always been the answer of, I want a teammate and I want to be in this for the long haul. So I don't really care about when we actually get married. I want to make sure that we still want to be married and we're obsessed with each other in 50 years. So if that takes us a little bit more time on the front end to figure that out, great. I want to figure out how to be the best version of me and make sure that this person I'm doing life with just helps me be me better.
2: Okay. So then on that note, what do you say to people who judge that as wasting time? Or they say like, you know, I have this goal of getting married or And and I need to get this done. And you know, if it's not there for a year, or if it's hard a year later, we've got to go. Or what about people interpreting it being hard as a reason for you to go? Like, how do you decide when you're just dealing with a different Enneagram type that needs different things and you need to go deeper versus like it's time to go?
1: Yeah. Ooh,
2: that's such a good question. So I think it's first, it's first really understanding
1: yourself. It's your job, it's literally your job. Whether you're in a relationship or not, to understand yourself first and put that hard work into figuring this out. Enneagram is a tool. There's human. There's so many different types of tools that you can use to get that self awareness. Because when you know who you actually are, then you can actually make a better decision. Because you're aware of your own blind spots too. Because it's so easy when we're frustrated to take that finger that we want to point at someone else. But instead, you can flip it back around and you can say, "What can I own here? Like, what's how? What am I bringing to the table?" So first, I would start with that own self awareness of of who you are and what you actually want. And that's a constantly evolving thing as we're constantly evolving people, that that's going to change. But when you know who you are, and then that other person works on that self-awareness journey too, then you actually have the data in front of you. So I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast that like data, right? That you love like taking notes and all of that, where it's like, hey, if you don't have data and you're just making this arbitrary decision, that that doesn't even actually make sense. But if you know yourself You can say, these are the things that I'm looking for in a person. Are these things compatible, something that we can work on? Or are these core fundamental differences? Because when it's a core fundamental difference, you can't change a person. Yeah. Right? But you can change your thoughts about that person and their strengths and weaknesses. So mm-hmm. that's the difference, I think, where it's like, if you know for yourself, I need someone that are these check, check, check things, and that person is not that person, don't waste your time trying to change them. But for someone that's on this arbitrary timeline, I would ask you, where did that timeline actually come from? Did you even actually come up with that timeline? Like, I have to be married at 35. I have to be married at 30. I have to have kids by 35. Like. Who came up with this timeline? Because I didn't come straight out the womb with some like agreement that I signed of like what I needed to do. We're sitting here at 31 and 32 and, and saying, well, we did all of this work to the foundation of our marriage over the last, you know, 12 years. And we're so equipped to handle this versus some weddings that I was in five years ago. They're divorced already. Yeah. Right. And I don't think, and I don't want to stigmatize divorce or or leaving a relationship that's not serving you, but I think it is taking radical responsibility for your own self-awareness and making this part of your journey and not putting the keys to your happiness in somebody else's pocket or doing what happens when we're in relationships for a while, where we either intentionally grow together or we just, you know, quote unquote, like accidentally grow apart. Yeah. And and that happens when you're not putting the work into it. So just like anything that you're proud of in your life, you're probably proud of the things that you worked hard for. You're not proud of the things that just came to you on a you know silver platter. Why I'm so proud of this relationship and love talking about this topic is because. It has been so much work of what do you think about that? What's your perspective? And then waiting to actually hear the answer.
2: Yeah. Right? I'm waiting for the kettle to boil. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, come on, kettle,
1: let's do it. Like he makes soup on the stove. I make it in the microwave. It's just the way it is. Right. Yeah. So- I love
2: this. This is such an awesome conversation. And I know for me, um, you know, I've definitely had like some of that timeline, not right now so much, but in the past and It is so freeing for anybody listening to just remove the timeline, realize it's an illusion. Like time is an illusion. Like if you want to get married when you're 50 and you want to spend the next 15 years making sure your partner is good for you for the rest of the ride, you get to do that. And I hope anybody listening takes a piece of paper out after this, writes down maybe like the top five people in their lives that they're most connected to or in touch with and kind of ask themselves, what Enneagram do I think they are? Yeah, And how can I... Honor that person more. How can I read more about that enneagram type? How can I take the test, or even tell them to take the test? Because I think that's really love. Love is a verb, right? And like being able to have reverence for who someone is. Um, maybe you can challenge them, but to also get that you can earn their secure attachment with you. Like my girlfriends, I know their enneagram types. I know what their wounds are and I tread more softly when I'm in the neighborhood of something that is sensitive for them, something that's a shadow for them. And because of that, there's more trust. We've earned secure attachment and it's just changed my relationship. So thank you so much for such a cool conversation, really different than the usual on the pod. And yeah, where can everybody find you? I love it. So
1: fun. I love, we can just go all directions. Yeah, we could. So fun. Um, you can find my favorite social media platform is Instagram. It's Kasia K-A-C-I-A dot Fitzgerald. My podcast is called empower her and yeah, Monday, Thursday episodes. Come find me. I love hearing about people's takeaways and all that jazz. So thank you again for having me.
2: Thank
0: you. Hey, U-Turners. This episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Organifi. And just for a second, I want to tell you about yet another one of my absolute favorite products they have. It's their Gold Powder. This golden powder tastes like the holidays. It's a nice, cinnamony, comforting taste, packed with ingredients like turmeric, ginger, reishi mushrooms, which help you chill out lemon balm, prebiotics which are so necessary for your gut health, and even some magnesium which can be so helpful for a better sleep. As soon as the afternoon slump tempts me, I like to pour myself some nut milk with gold powder into my favorite mug and that is just the best way I can take care of myself instead of having another cup of coffee. And it's super food blends just make it so easy for me to add more variety and nutrition into my day. So if you'd like to give the gold powder a try over at Organifi, I can't recommend it enough. Head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n and make sure you use that u-turn checkout code for 20% off thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode